Metamorphosis. It's a marked change in appearance, character, condition, or function. A radical transformation, a profound change in form from one stage to the next in the life history of an organism. And we've been talking essentially about this truth that we were created, redeemed, and saved to grow, to change, to transform. Growth, transformation, and change in the Christian life is normal. It's to be expected. It's inevitable of being connected to Christ and being in Christ. But the imagery or analogy that I could think of is, have you ever seen like a a 10 or 12-year-old, 12-year-old, let's take a 12-year-old, right, who has like huge feet, size 13 feet, and they're like 4 feet 5 inches tall, right? So they got the huge feet, maybe huge hands, and they just look awkward because you're thinking at some point he's going to grow into those shoes, right? Right, wise in every other way. And I think of that imagery because I think when we oftentimes look at maybe our Christian lives, that there is this incredible potential that lies within us. We have potential to be, to be, to be like God. The scripture says we have the DNA in us. Now, we're never going to fulfill that here. But there's this incredible potential that lies within us. And yet, transformation, change, renewal, oftentimes is not the norm of the Christian life, but the exception. Come on, I'm talking to some of you that have been stuck in your Christian life journey for a while, and you're just kind of at that place. You're like, I don't even, I don't, I don't even want to do this thing anymore. I don't know if this means anything. What is this for? And maybe some of you walked in here as your last effort to go, unless somebody shows me why I should continue doing what I'm doing because it's clearly not working, I'm just thinking about just chucking this whole thing. That's inevitable that we feel and think that, that when we hit a wall or a ceiling in our growth in our Christian lives. And I'm not going to ask, how many of you feel that, you know, because I know for a fact that there are a lot of you that feel that, and so do I many times. That's why we're talking about this. Now, the overriding principle, though, overriding principle, maybe this is simple, maybe this is like no duh, you know, for you guys, but for some of us, look, the principle that undergirds all of this is this, that we grow in the Christian life the same way we start this thing. We grow into Christian life the same way we start this thing. Now, I know that the, the message indirectly that's communicated to oftentimes in our Christian communities is that there's this dichotomy between how you begin your Christian life and then how you grow in it. When in fact, you look at scriptures, there is no dichotomy. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. We don't have any problems believing God the way we begin the Christian life. God, I am a lost sinner. I'm hopeless. I'm weak. I can't do anything to save myself. I need you. No problems, right? So God comes by the power of the Holy Spirit, convicts us of sin, gives us faith to believe, so on and so forth. But then we all of a sudden kind of switch off of that and onto, hey, now it's up to me. Give me your Bible. Give me the list of rules, whatever the situation might be, and let me add it. When in fact, the Bible says, you know how you started the Christian life? I can't do anything to grow. I can't do anything to start this thing, God. The same posture for growth. It's necessary. I can't do anything. I have to grow, to change, to transform myself. I need you. That was never supposed to end. Theologically, we could put it this way. Just as you need a God to save you from the penalty of sin, you also need God to save you from the power of sin, to grow, to transform, to change. My guess is that there are many of us, the, the reason why you've stopped growing is this, this right here. You've been flailing at it on your own. You've been flailing at it by your strength. You've been flailing about a self-discipline or whatever else you want to use. And yet the scripture says, oh. Oh. now, here's the other critical thing. 
So when you, look at, when, you look at that, when you look at that overarching principle, then all of a sudden scripture becomes alive to us. In scripture, we read differently through different set of lenses. We don't read the Bible to go, okay, what do I need to do now? What do I need to do now? I got to do that, got to do that, got to do that, got to do that. I got to pick that up. And gotta, uh, no, no. no, we read scripture differently. All of a sudden, the entire paradigm changes. The entire approach changes. The entire worldview towards the Christian life changes. Let me show you what I mean. We looked at this passage last week, right? Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. Here's how Jesus paints the picture of how you begin the Christian life, how you enter the kingdom of God. Look what he says. After John was put in prison, verse 14, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God, verse 15. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. And then what he said? He says, repent and believe the good news. We all say that with me, ready? Repent and believe the good news. Now here's the thing, okay? If you've been paying attention this morning or last week, you start the Christian life by repenting and believing the good news, Right? Repenting and believing the good news. How do you grow in the Christian life? By repenting and believing the good news. You start the Christian life repenting and believing. And next two Sundays, we're going to talk about what does it mean to believe the good news, believe the gospel. Because uh, just a heads up, Very little part of it has to do with Jesus died for me, forgave me of my sins so I can go to heaven. The gospel, the good news. Small part. Much larger part, though. So what is the key to growing in Christian life? Repentance, faith. How do you begin it? Repentance, faith. How do you grow in it? Repentance and faith. So last Sunday and this Sunday, we took the first portion of that and thought, what does repentance mean then, right? What does repentance mean? And it all of a sudden begins to make sense. Repentance, to begin the Christian life, is what? Repentance is not, God, I'm sorry for things that I've done. I feel really bad. I feel really sorry. So forgive me. Repentance? Uh Uh-uh. Repentance also is not, I'm sorry, going one way, stop, turn around, and go the other way. To which many of us go, I've walked that path like a thousand times. I keep going, turning around, going back the other way. But the reason why we can't continue to grow in that is because there is a deeper underlying thing, hello, that's causing us to go that certain way. And what is repentance? Repentance is uprooting from our lives anything and everything that's causing us to go a certain path, believe certain things, say certain things that we do that is not Christ but something else. It's literally the identity, the foundation, the thing in which our entire lives are built upon repentance is digging that sucker up uprooting it and building your entire life on another foundation which is jesus which is jesus that's repentance and you can't become a christian unless you do that duh right but you can't grow in the christian life until you continually day by day moment by moment do that why and we talked about it Because the idols of our lives, the gods of our lives, the things that we build, the significant things on, you know, the list goes on and on. Guess what happens when we become a Christian, folks? When we become a Christian, we enter the kingdom. It's not like those idols and those gods and those false foundational things all of a sudden go, bye-bye. We had fun while we were together. But you're a Christian now, so I'm going to leave you alone. You know what they do? They follow you. They follow me right back into, right back into our Christian lives, and they wreak havoc. Matter of fact, it's not an overstatement for me to say, your issues, your trials, your suffering, the reason you're sad, the reason you're depressed, the reason you're discouraged, the reason you're exhilarated, the reason you're feeling real good, all of those things, essentially at the root of it has to do with what is the God 
are the idol of your life. And for any of us that sat here last week going, I don't have any idols. I don't have any gods. You know, I worship God and God alone. Please. <laughs> Give me a break. And for those of us that are like, yeah, so I got idols in my life. I got gods in my life. So what? That's what we're going to talk about today. So what? We're going to talk about that today, okay? And hopefully you won't walk out here going, so what? <laughs> Maybe you'll walk out here going, I need to think about that. Maybe. Well, remember the truth that we learned last week, you guys? And because of time, I'm going to just jump into this. Remember Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 5? That's where God gives the Ten Commandments to the nation of Israel. And the first commandment is what? Worship the Lord your God. Have no other gods before me. And then the rest of the Ten Commandments. Why is it significant? Because when God gave that commandment to his people, he was assuming that the people who were hearing it were worshiping something. Either God or something else. The creator or the created being. There is no alternative. There is no alternative. There is no third option. God who created you says your heart was built, your heart was made, your heart was created in such a way that you will want to give worth to something, find significance, find identity, find your foundation, find your meaning in life on something. And that is going to be at all times of your life, every waking second, God or something else. There is no third option. And you're in denial if you're really, you're in denial if you say, ah, there is a third option. I don't worship anything. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. There is something that is capturing your heart. There is something that has you. There is something that you look in the mirror and say, that's the reason why I am somebody. All of us have that. And the Bible says over and over again, it's either God or something else. What is it? What is it? What is it, that thing that we are building our lives on? Because insight to that, you guys, will show us. Insight to that. This doesn't get any practical than this. You know, I said this morning, I said, if I can't make this sermon practical, I got to just quit, give up. I got to quit this job, okay? Because this is as practical as it gets. Because it shows you and me why we act the way we do, why we say the things that we say, and why our lives look the way it does. It doesn't happen out of a vacuum. But there is a belief system in which our entire idols or idolatry is built upon that causes us to act the way we do feel the things that we feel. And I said last week, that's the reason why there are two of you, friends, same age, similar life experience, going through maybe similar things, and you haven't had a date in about a year and a half. One of you, you're just crushed. You're angry. You're depressed. Irrationally. And the other person, sure, it's disappointing. You know, like to be dating, like to be in relationship, but it doesn't affect you to the level that that person does. It's another analogy, two of you. Maybe get fired from similar jobs. One of you, you're crushed. You say things like, life is meaningless. I don't even want to live anymore. And the other person says, yeah, it stinks. I lost my job. But what is it? What is it? Do you know? Do I know? The answer to that, the answer to that is the key. Now we're trying to get it for the next couple of weeks, last week and this week. The secret to change. The secret to change. Listen, the secret to transformation change is not moral reformation. The secret to change is not reading your Bibles a hundred times. The secret to change is not going to small groups. Going to small groups will help, and I'm going to talk about community, but that's not the thing that's going to transform you. The secret to change and transformation is stop justifying yourself and that idol. Stop it. 
Now, I sound like one of those guys, right? Just stop doing it, okay? Now, I'm going to explain what that means. It's not that simple, right? But you got to be self-justification. Take a moment, step back, and go, what is it? What is it am I building my life on? Take hard self-look, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, and with God's help, be willing to repent of it, repent of it, repent of it. Why does God give this as first commandment out of the ten? Because God's literally saying, if I am your God, you will not steal. Why? Because I'll be your treasure. If I'm your God, you're not going to commit adultery, cheat on people. Why? Because I am your real beauty. If I'm God, your God, you're not going to lie. Why do we lie? We lie because we want that person's approval, move up in the ladder or that corporation company or safe face. And God says, if I am more important to you than any of those things, you're not going to lie. And then the rest of the Ten Commandments. So today, as we end this sermon series, I promised you last week, if I ripped your heart open, that I'm going to try, try and kind of close it today. You know, walk out of here going, give me some, give me some, give me some things I can, uh, you know, I'm not going to just let you be. Just walk out of here going, he just, just opened it all up. And then I'm going to try my best to give some practical guidelines and steps for us to move forward in dealing with this. But I'm going to need you guys to be courageous this morning. For those of you that are wanting to be in denial, I'm going to ask you to maybe put the denial to the side and be willing to take a look in your heart. Okay? All right, open your Bibles in Romans chapter 1. I promised last week that we're going to go and dig deeper into Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Romans 1, 18 to 25, to me, is sort of the exposition of, of, of the first commandment, first two commandments. It's, it's where Paul sort of elaborates on what God meant when he said, do not have any other gods or idols before me, and do not worship created things. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. It says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. Make mental notes of that. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Immediately, Paul gives us huge insight into the sin of idolatry as he says that the basic reason why we commit idolatry or make idols in our lives is because we want to control our lives. We need control. We want to be able to control circumstances, situations, our lives in a very sort of chaotic, confusing world, if you will. And the way that this plays out is this, and the reason why we want to control our lives is because we want to consider and think of ourselves as being more significant than we actually are, being bigger than we actually are, being more important than we actually are, being more capable than we actually are. Why? Listen to what Paul says. That's why he says they neither glorified him. Now, what does glorify him mean? The word glorify in Hebrew in Hebrew, it literally means weight or mass. So when we talk about glorifying God, give God the glory, it's very churchy words, right? What are we literally saying? We're literally saying God is the weightiest, heaviest, the most massive thing in the entire world. And that translates as God is, what's, what's beauty? God is ultimate beauty. What's wisdom? God is ultimate wisdom. In other words, God is the glorious, 
the most glorious, the weightiest, the most beautiful, the most mighty, the most powerful, the most significant, the most important person in the world, in the universe. And yet, what happens when we want to control our lives? We like to think of ourselves more significant, more important. The inevitable result is you will not glorify God. You will not make him your center. You will not make him your most important. You will not make him the most critical. You will not make him the non-negotiable. There will be other things. The second result, Paul says in verse 21, is that they neither glorified God nor gave thanks to him, the Bible says. And I talked about this this week. Again, it's the inevitable result. Why? If you want to be in control and you like to think of yourself as more significant, more important, so on and so forth, you're going to take credit for everything that happens in your life. I'm successful. I worked hard. I have money because I, have, I found a great job. I worked hard, went to a great school, studied really, really hard, connections and all the people I knew. And what does God say? God says, if you knew your size, the significance of it in the larger scheme of things, and you realize that you were dependent on me for every single breath of your life, the inevitable result will be, God, thank you. And I shared this last week. Parker, my son, is a daily reminder to me. <laughs> That the most beautiful, important things in my life, I had nothing to do with. So it's easy for me to look at that and go, dup, dup, dup. Looks, mom, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Smarts, mom, yup, yup, yup. <laughs> Fashion sense, mom, everything. It's like, God, I did very little work. I did some work, but I did very little work. You know, it's like, but you know what happens? Listen, you know what? There's other areas in my life where I go, I did that, God. I worked hard. I went to the school. I, I more significant and important than I actually am. Inevitable result, lack of thanksgiving. Let me ask you a question. Is there an appropriate level of thanksgiving and gratitude in your life? I think I share this example. I was talking to a young Asian-American young man who was very successful, banker, lots and lots of money, lots and lots of money, walked in and just really struggled with the whole thing of God or me. I worked hard, I connections, blah, blah, blah. And I simply said to him, I said, let me ask you something. The fact that you were born into the family you were born into and the fact that you were born into the country that you were born into, did you have anything to do with that? And I said, before you answer, let me ask you another question. Would you be where you are today if you were born on the mountains of Mongolia? Thanksgiving. when there are idols in our lives things that are more fundamental more significant than God the natural inevitable draw will be my abilities my work and the Bible says that we suppress these truths Paul says in verse 18 we suppress these truths why? because we don't want to acknowledge God as God we don't want to give God our allegiance we don't want to admit our dependence our reliance we don't want to give to God who he really is and the worship that really belongs to him and the inevitable result is idolatry foundation on other things in our lives how are you doing? how am I doing? Paul goes on, verse 22. Look what it says. Powerful. Verse 22. He says, Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. And you guys, again, again, twice in this passage, Paul will say, And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God 
four created things, and they exchange the truth of God for a lie. You cannot not worship anything. You cannot be a non-worshipper. I don't care if you're an agnostic or an atheist. You say, I don't believe in that junk. You will rest your heart on something. Our hearts are built and created in such a way that we will serve something. We will adore something. We will identify with something. We will look to something to say, that's why I have meaning in my life. And Paul says there's no such thing as I just don't do that. He says, if it's not God, you will exchange God for something else. You will exchange God for something else. You will serve something. Something will have your heart. Something will have your imagination. Something will capture your soul. Something will draw you in and saying, that's the reason why I have meaning in life. What is it? What is it? Is this hard? Is this hard? Talk to me here. I did this for the first service. I'm going to deal with you guys. What are you thinking? What are you feeling right about now? Don't know where to begin yet. Okay. Anybody else? Anybody else? Last week I spent a moment talking about the various idols. Mentioned seven of them, right? And I promised you this week that I was going to mention a few more. Remember what we talked about last week? Uh, Rule of thumb, okay? There's two guidelines here. Number one, as we go through these idols, thou shalt not do one of these. This this is you. You know? know? Or, as you're taking notes going, oh man, Tom needs to hear this. Oh boy. Self-evaluation, please, okay? Don't think of somebody else who needs to hear this or who's their God. You need to think about yourself, okay? Think about yourself. So we talked about a bunch last week, and I thought I'd bring five more up here real quick, okay? Here's one. Ready? Some of these are more concrete. Some of these are more. First is approval affirmation. Some, some of you, this is your God. This is your idol. This is your foundation. This is your, what you build your identity on. This is the reason why some of you can't say No. This is the reason why you can't draw boundaries. This is the reason why you're tired because you've doing, you're doing just about everything, anything, just to hear somebody say, you know, I think you're cool. I think you're good. I like you. And you're deathly afraid of disapproval. You're deathly afraid of somebody going, I don't really dig you. And this has many, many facets to it, but affirmation and approval is driving you the point of despair because there's somebody that you desperately seek the approval of right now, today, affirmation, and you're not getting it from them, and you don't even realize it, and you're angry, and you're bitter. You're in despair. Affirmation and approval. Second one, perfectionism. Talked a little bit about this in context of work. This is the reason why some of us can't work with other people. 
Because our work isn't just something that we do. Our work defines us. Our work gives us identity. Our work is that thing that we build our entire life on. So God forbid I have some irresponsible, you know, not very good guy working on my team or working on our team, right? Because if he or she messes up, that's a reflection of me. And we're not going to do that. So you know what? I'm going to treat you like crap because I don't want you to work with me. Perfectionism. By the way, this is a major issue for those of us that are control freaks. Anybody? 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 (laughs) And then there's a couple that are more corporate, and then I'm going to end with an individual. Here's a couple more corporate. One is multiculturalism. You like our church because we're a multicultural church. You come to our church because we're multi-ethnic. Do you know that multiculturalism can become a god, an idol? Do you know that we can make this the end all and be all? We could go, look at this, everybody. We're multicultural, multi-ethnic. Isn't this beautiful? Somebody quick, take a picture. Send it to Gap or Benetton and go, look at this. Put us on your ad, right? But you know what happens when we do that? Listen, you know what happens when we do that? A couple, couple things. One thing that could happen is we elevate our culture, our ethnicity to the point of idol, and we say to people, you can't judge me. You don't know me. Who you think you are? You don't know my culture. This is just me. And the other person is going, no, it's not, man, because I know the people you raised your ethnicity, they're not jerks like you, you know? <laughs> We're going, no, we elevate our culture, ethnicity, and we, can't, we say to people, you can't question anything about me. Multiculturalism. Or another corporate, what we, if we elevate to something, we make this multicultural thing, the end of and all, and we can't forget about the fact that God has called us to be a multicultural community for a greater purpose, for a greater reason, that is for biblical reconciliation, for biblical justice and biblical righteousness to be a city within a city that the rest of Chicago could look at and say, how do the different race and ethnicity in that church, how do they do that? That's why we're, that's why we're here, okay? Now, next one. Individualism. If you live in America, we have all bowed down to the God of individualism at some point. Have you heard these two phrases? For those of you that are maybe in the field of arts, we go, you can't censor anything. Art is art. If you censor art, it's not art anymore. It's not. And so we go, you can't censor anything. Everything goes. What are we saying? We're saying my opinions, my taste, my feelings are God. They judge anything and everything. Okay? Here's another one. How can it be so wrong when it feels so right? Just want to slap somebody that says that to you. How can it be so wrong when it feels so right? You know what you're saying? You're saying my feelings trump everything. My feelings trump anything. There's no moral stand, whatever. My feelings are the most important thing. How can it be so wrong when it feels so right? We live and swim in a culture of individualism. That elevates it to the point of being a deity, a God figure. Is it any wonder that we struggle with the biblical concept of community? Dying to self. You before me. Us before I. Here's the last one. Conscience. I know these aren't as fun as last week's, but, you know, hang in there with me, okay? Conscience. This is so important. Conscience. Here's what this looks like, okay? There are some of you in here that are saying, I can't forgive myself. No, come on, come on. Be honest here. You're saying, I can't forgive myself. I, I've messed up, I've failed, and I'm a terrible person. And you're a Christian. You know what you're saying? 
You know what you've done? You've elevated some standard, some moral standard or some conscience of yours even higher than God. So that you hear somebody say, God loves you. And your immediate answer, I don't care if God loves me because I am. Because I've done. Because I feel. And you've literally let your conscience and your standard become your idol and your God. I'm talking to groups of people in here today. Your Christian life is stalled because you cannot get out of this rut of looking at yourself going, God, I don't care if you forgive me, God. I don't care what the Bible says. I am a terrible person. I am a sinner. I've done wrong. And no matter what anybody says, my conscience and my standard will be my God. And I will bow down to it. Even though it curses me every day saying, you failed. The Apostle John says, whenever our hearts and our conscience condemns us. He says, remember that God is greater than your hearts. God is greater than your conscience. So anytime you feel like, I can't forgive, I can't do, I can't, I'm a terrible person, and you have the, the, the temptation to have your conscience and your idol be your God, you've got to say to yourself, but God will be my God. But Jesus will be the source of my worship. And he says, I am forgiven. And he says, I am redeemed. And he says, I am healed. Amen. So those of you that are sitting here today, and you've been coming to church for weeks, and the reason why you can't get out of this rut, even though you listen to sermon after sermon, you read your Bible, go to small group, you have to uproot your idol of your conscience and your standard. I say this as lovingly and gently as possible, but who do you think you are? Hopefully that came a little soft, right? <laughs> I didn't want to go, who do you think you are? God says, God says to you, who do you think you are? Do you know who I am? Dare I challenge some of you, do not walk out of here today without uprooting that idol of your life that has wreaked havoc in you. And then Paul goes on. Look at verse 24, 25. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desire of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. And again, Paul gets to this. Your heart is worshipping something. Don't fool yourself into thinking that if it's not God or something else, then that's, you, there's something that has captured your heart and your imagination. And this is what Paul says here. Look, look, this is so important. He says, the result of the consequences of idolatry placing other things in my life higher than God is two things. There's deception and there's slavery. There's deception and there's slavery. Consequences. What do I mean? Paul says that their thinking became futile and their hearts were darkened. He literally is saying there that idolatry isn't just sinful. Idolatry is foolish. It's dumb. Why? Because it deceives you. How? Let me try and explain this if I can, okay? See, idolatry... And our, 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 our worship of other idols and other gods isn't just something that just kind of is there and, you know, happens in the valley. Like, oh, I feel that today. But uh, idolatry will do this. You ready? Idolatry has established in your life and your soul a belief system. There's a complex set, a web, a belief system in your heart, in your soul that's driving everything that you say, everything that you feel, and everything that you're, you, you want, if even. Everything. There's a belief system entrenched in your heart and in your soul. And here's the thing. That belief system, it's a lie. 
That belief system, and I'll show you in a minute, it doesn't work. That belief system, it's bogus. That belief system is meaningless. That belief system will destroy you, not give you life. That belief system that says things like, if I don't have that, that means my life is worthless. Do you hear that? <laughs> if somebody doesn't love me, then I am nobody. Or because I've failed at that, or because I haven't accomplished that, then my life is nothing, and I'm an utter total failure. Those kinds of thoughts don't just happen out of a vacuum. There's a belief system that your idolatry is created in your soul that's causing you to do these things, say these things, feel these things. And every time the trigger mechanism comes, boom, this belief system just goes, see, you don't have that. You're a failure. And we go, yeah, I'm a failure. Triggers to come. Oh, I don't have relational intimacy. I need that. And if I don't have relational intimacy, that means my life is worthless. Belief system says, yeah, your life is worthless. It is defined success. It is defined failure. It is defined life and meaning in your life, this belief system. And it's a total deception. Paul says, not only intellectually have we fallen into this, believe it, our thinking became futile. He says, our hearts were darkened. What does it mean practically? This is the reason why you're turning mix of anger, resentment, bitterness, worry today. When somebody asks you, why are you angry? Why are you so bitter? Why are you so just PO'd at the world? And you go, I don't know. Just some. There is a belief system that's telling you every day. Do you believe that? If not, you're a failure. Have you done that? If not, you're nothing. And you know what the crazy thing is? Michael, do you know what the crazy thing is? <laughs> I thought he was falling asleep, so I was going to pick on him. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Michael never falls asleep. Um, well, he does fall asleep. You know, he goes, goes to sleep at night. And, anyway, um, you know, it's crazy. Sorry. You know, it's really crazy. And Michael attested, anybody ministry, do you know that I've never had somebody walk into my office? Never, never, in all of my years of ministry, and go, I know what my problem is. <laughs> I haven't even said anything. Why are you laughing? I've never, I've never, look, I... People are going to go, oh, my life is a mess. My life is a wreck. And they're trying and they're trying. Oh, I feel like a failure. I hate her. I hate him and my family. And I don't know. And I go on and on and I listen, I listen, I listen, I listen. I listen, okay. And I'm going, at the end of that, somebody, one of these, they'll say, and you know, I'm coming to realize what my problem is. I have made that an idol. I have never in all of my years of ministry, you know what I hear? I blame God. I blame them. I blame her. I blame him. I blame my family. I blame the world. I blame even me. But I've yet to have somebody say, the root source of my problem, Peter, is my idol. That's how complete the deception is. Not only is it deception, but you know what Paul says? Or is it, is it foolish? But Paul also says, it's, 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 it doesn't stand up to reality. It's impractical. Your idol idolatry, it's impractical. Can I ask you something? Does it work? Do your idols work? Come on. Come on. Do your idols work? Come on. Romance, relational intimacy, you know? <sighs> you know, you've just kind of, does it work? It only takes that person to go, I'm not into you anymore. Bye. For you to go, that doesn't work. <laughs> does it work? Does it work? Work? Performance, achievement, it just takes a little bit of criticism somebody to go, you're not all that hot. You think you are, but you're not. For you to be crushed and go, does it work? I heard a pastor give this analogy of a congregant in his church. 
a beautiful, successful woman, a beautiful, successful, who had it all. She came down with an unexplainable illness, was literally bedridden for years, okay? And this pastor went to go see her, and this is what she said. Listen, so powerful. He said, you don't know, ritual. You don't know what you really believe. You don't know what you really, really believe until you're locked into a bed in a hospital. If God wasn't that thing, if his love wasn't the only love that I really needed, if his approval wasn't the only approval that I really needed to have, if his promises weren't the only certainty I had to have, I'd be ready to kill myself. But I feel closer to him now than ever. You don't know what your idols are. You don't know what your gods are. You don't know if your idols or gods are going to come through for you. You don't know when you're on vacation, when there's sunshine, when everything is going well. But how will they stand up to reality when suffering comes, when trials come, when things don't go right? For those of you that have established your family, friends, relationships, as your idol, as your God, how will they come through for you when they lie in a casket? How will they come through for you when they lie in a casket? How will relational intimacy come through for you when that person says, I'm done with you? How will power, achievement, success come through for you when you fail? How will these false idols come through for you? And I said this last week, and I'm going to say it again. Be very careful. There are some suffering and some trials you just can't explain. In the sovereignty of God, you just can't explain. It has nothing to do with idolatry, nothing to do with your fault, someone's fault, nothing. There are some unexplainable things that come into our lives that cause suffering and pain. But for many of us, majority of us, they are saved. Pain and suffering in our lives is when our idols are dying. It's when our gods are dying. It's because we've looked at that I need you for meaning. I need you for identity. I need you for significance. I need you to feel okay. And we are blocked from having it. We are hindered from having it. It leaves us. It forsakes us. It goes. And inside you go. Your idols, my idols, will never stand up to reality. And yet we think they can. Powerfully, it's this dynamic of they can't fully satisfy us, and yet because we think we can, we want more. We want more. We want more. Can't satisfy us, and so we don't just stop. We want more. Slavery is the result. We become enslaved to our idols. It says jump, you jump. It says go, you go. There are some of you who've been in bondage to your idol for weeks and months. It was a bit of an insight that came to me when I was thinking about this. You know why all of us sort of innately, naturally struggle with this? Slavery and idols? Because we're all goal-oriented. Now, I know. Some of you sitting there today going, I'm not goal-oriented. I have no goals in my life whatsoever, you know? <laughs> That's why my girlfriend's driving me crazy. She's like, get a job. Please find something to do, you know? I'm like, not goal-oriented. We are. You know why? Because we live in a world, that's not what I'm talking about, glory. We live in a world where you got to prioritize stuff. You got to prioritize stuff. I'm, can you just break it down to the most simplest? You wake up tomorrow morning and you got to go, all right, I got to brush my teeth. I got to take a shower. I have to. Why? Because I stink if I don't. So I'm going to do that first. And so we all prioritize some things. Now, I'm just making a light comment. Listen to what happens. In our entire life, though, we structure our priorities in such a way that the top Whatever those things that define us, give meaning, so on and so forth, will always get our attention, our resources, our time, our money. 
our affections. It's innate within the human life to prioritize certain things and say those things are more important. <laughs> Some of us, sloth, laziness might be our biggest priority. So it's like, that's the most important thing. That's why we are what we are. All of us, even those that are non-goal-oriented, we prioritize our lives accordingly. Now, listen to this. Because we innately want to do that, whatever it is that we give ultimate meaning to, it will have you. It will sweep you over. It will capture your heart. I don't understand why when people get into dating relationships, at first it's great, right? You get dating relationships, you're like, we're praying together, reading the Bible together. Which to me is a little, you know. But anyway, if it works for you, fine. You know, I'm not knocking that. I'm not knocking that. But that whole, you know. Like, but then like after two and a half, three months, what happens? You know what that moment happens, okay? Not only, after two and a half, three months, all of a sudden, one of them or both of them start feeling this tension in their heart. Like their spiritual life starts struggling, you know. And that may lead to other sins and other things, fooling around, messing around, all this other stuff. But you do. And they come in and they're like, I don't understand what happened. I'm going, you don't understand what happened. What's your priority? My priority? What do you mean? My, like, priority. Tell me your priority. What are the most important things? Time, energy. Oh. Oh, 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 oh. What do we do? What do we do about this? Here's what I'm not going to say. I'm not going to go, so you need to just pray. <laughs> they throw stuff at me like, Pray? I came to this for that, right? I woke up for that, pray. I'm not going to just tell you to pray. Prayer important. It's absolutely important, pray. I'm also not going to go, so go home and read your Bibles. <laughs> is reading your Bible a good thing? Of course it is. Please read your Bibles every day. I love my Bible. I read it every day. But is that what's going to help you with your sin of idolatry? No. I'm also not going to say go into a small group. What am I going to say? I'm going to ask you guys to do maybe the most difficult thing that some of you have ever had to do in your entire life, okay? That is, I'm going to ask you, what I'm going to do right now are things that nobody's really ever challenged you to do. Because here's the thing, I'm not going to, I'm not going to stand up and go, do different, behave differently, just stop, just stop it. Because you're going to go, I hate you. What do you mean stop it? I've been trying to stop it forever. I can't just stop. And you're right. You've got to ask the question, what's causing me to act that way? I'm also not going to go, but God loves you so much, don't you see? Will you just believe it? That doesn't mean anything when you, you go, God, God loved me? Yeah, I believe that. Does Jesus love me? Yeah, I believe that. But I believe that this is more important than God's love. And as long as you believe that, it doesn't matter what I tell you to believe. As long as you believe that belief system, never going to change. So what do, I, what do we do? Here it is. By the way, this isn't some magic bullet like, do A, B, C, D, and E, and you shall be set free. Remember how you began it every day, every moment of your life. I'm just giving you some basic tools. The answer is found in Romans 125, when Paul says, Therefore, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God and worshipped and served, created things. The key, I think, to sin of idolatry and dealing with it is just flipping that around. What do I mean? Exchange the lie that's been hounding you for truth. And worship and give worth to the creator rather than created things. Okay? All right. I'm just joking. I was just going to end there and go, okay, now go do it. To which you guys would have been like, first thing, you got to identify it. What do I mean? 
What are the excessive, uncontrolled, irrational emotions that are driving you? This is for those of you that are still at that place of going, I don't know if I have idols. I don't. No. Identify and identification first step. What are the uncontrolled emotions that are driving you? Let me ask you a series of questions. What are you most angry about? What are you most angry about today? Is there something too important for you? Is there something you're telling yourself you have to have? And you're angry because you're being blocked from getting whatever that thing is that you think is a necessity in your life when it's not. What are you most angry about? Here's another question. What are you most worried about? What are you most anxious about? We all worry. We all anxious. We all go through some of that. But there are some of you irrational, unreasonable worry and anxiety. What is it? What is it that's too important for you? What is it that you're telling yourself, I have to have this because if I don't, it means my life is meaningless. It means that my life doesn't amount to anything. What is it that you're telling yourself you have to have and because you're being blocked from getting it, you're worried, you're anxious that you might lose it. Third, what are you most despondent about? What is it that you're, what is it literally causing you to hate yourself? You're going, I hate myself. Why? What is it that's too important for you? What is it something you got to have? What is it that you're telling yourself because you failed at that or you haven't succeeded at that? You're nothing and your life is meaningless. What is it? What are you most angry about? What are you most despondent about? What are you? What are you saying to yourself, if I lose this, then my life is meaningless and there's no reason for me to keep living? What is it? I know this is hard. I know this is hard. But if you're serious about life transformation, you gotta do this, you gotta do this. What is it, what is it? What is the identity of your idol, of your real God? Are you willing to look underneath the eating disorder? Are you willing to look underneath the anger? Are you willing to look underneath the bitterness? Are you willing to look underneath the fact that you have given your body and your sexuality to anybody and everybody that'll take it and you just think and it's because you're just lonely? No, it's not. What is underneath your heart that you're telling yourself, I have to have it? Identification. And that's hard enough as it is. Here's a second. You ready? Just as hard. Call it what it is. The idolatry. Say it with me. Call it what it is. You know what that means? First thing, can you admit it to yourself today? Can you, admit, can you literally say today, look at yourself and go, God, this has been my salvation. Your love is good. The fact that Jesus loves me, that's good. But this has been my salvation. I admit today, I admit today, not today, I admit today, this is my God. This is my Savior. This is it, God. This is it. Do you know how hard that is for some of us? But it doesn't just stop there. And when you admit it, you got you to gotta see it for what it is. In other words, when you admit it and saying, this is, what, this is what gives me significance, then you begin to go, then I can unmask it. Then I can see it for what it is. And here's what you'll find. That very idol, that thing that was so attractive, that was so beautiful at first, it is the slave driver. It is your bondsman. It is the thing that has you in a chokehold. It is the thing that's destroying your life. It is the thing that's destroying your soul. It is the thing that has got you anxious and worried. It is the thing that has ruined other relationships. It is that thing that has wreaked havoc in your life. That thing that you saw is so beautiful, attractive at one point. And you got to unmask and see it for the ugly thing that it is. But you cannot do that until you're willing to admit to yourself that you have wanted that and longed for that more than anything else then you got to see it for what it is. 
The worst thing that could happen to idols and idolatry in our lives is what Paul says in Romans 24 when God says, and God gave them over to it. If relational intimacy, romance, and someone's approval, affection is the most important thing in your life, the worst thing that could happen to you is for you to get married. You will look to your spouse to be your savior. And they can never, ever come even close to meeting the unrealistic expectations that you have. And it will destroy your marriage. See it for what it is. Unmask it. Admit it. This is it, God. This is it. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Been one for years. Lastly, identification. Call it what it is. And this is hard too. Is to repent and rejoice the gospel what do I mean I'm not going to sit up here and go just do differently I'm not going to sit up and go just pray I'm not going to sit up all these you know what it is simplest answer is it's coming to that place where you're saying Jesus you're my savior Jesus you're my righteousness Jesus you're my justifier Jesus you're my real beauty Jesus you're my real wisdom Jesus you're my real power Jesus you're my real significance Jesus you're my real non-negotiable Jesus you're my real center Jesus you're my real ends and not the means Jesus you are the most important thing Jesus you are the one thing that I'm unwilling to sacrifice Jesus you are the one you are the all you are the only only thing that I need in my life that's what it means but how do you come to that place how do you come to that place it's remembering it's remembering why God wants you there it's remembering why God says therefore I have no other gods before me it's remembering this is the gospel that God says that because of what he says at the very end of the uh, 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 Exodus chapter 20 verse 5 when he says have no other gods before me because I am a jealous God why does God say do not have idols before you because he's a big egomaniac because he's a wrathful judgmental God that likes to punish people because they have other idols because God says just as you when you love somebody so much and you want them to be in your arms because it's in your arms that they will truly find life and yet that person seeks affection allegiance and other lover and yet that other lover is treating the one that you cherish by destroying their soul by never coming through on their promises by lying you lifeless when you see the one that you love being treated that way by an idol or a God, what would you do? You and I would do the same thing God does, which is, I want you for myself. I want you in my arms for myself. Not because I'm an egomaniac, not because I'm a mean, wrathful God, but because I love you. I love you. And I want you to myself. Mean old God. Do you see? That's the only way. That's the only way you'll ever be able to understand why Joseph was able to overcome temptation in Genesis 39 when the Potiphar's wife came and said, sex right now, right here. Joseph says, how can I do that in sin against God? Do you know how you overcome sin of idolatry? It's not saying, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. I'm going to suppress your desires, I'm going to suppress your desires. That'll never work. You and I have tried that for years. The only way you'll be able to overcome idolatry in your life is if you find something outside of you that will enhance your desire for something more beautiful. It's not an inward repression of your idols. It's an enhancement outside of yourself for something more beautiful. It's you coming to the place going, I need to reprioritize my life because I'm going to prioritize anyway, God. Reprioritize in my life that Jesus, you become the ultimate beauty. You become the supreme beauty. You become the thing and the most important, most meaningful thing in my life. You become that thing from which outside of you, I don't want to live. 
You're my real beauty. You're my real joy. You're my real life. Does it take prayer? Can't do without it. Does it take scripture reading? Can't do without it. Does it take spiritual disciplines? Can't do without it. But it begins with you getting to that place of going, God, I see my idol. I admit that it is. I want to find something that will be way more beautiful. Way more beautiful. I ended the 9 o'clock service this way, and I'm going to do the same thing. Today would be the first step for some of you in here because today is the first step maybe of your second journey into your Christian life where you go, I'm done. I'm done. I, I, can't, I can't go back to that. I don't want to go back to that. It doesn't mean that I'm going to do it tomorrow or next week or next month, even next year, but God, I'm going to begin this journey and this path. I'm done. I want you. I want you. As I said, not only is that identification, but it's admission. Nine o'clock service, I just flat out issued a challenge and said, if you are done with your idols, if you are done, and don't take this lightly, I said, come forward, come up, come up, and we're going to pray together. Because if you can't admit this to other people, you'll never be able to admit it to yourself. If you can't admit, I have an idol. It's ruining my life. Anybody want to join me up front? This is, this is our church. Our church, you know, we just kind of sit back and wait and we go, I wonder who's going up. Okay, let me go ahead and see. Oh, maybe I'll, if this is you, I'm telling you, if you can't even admit it to other people around you, you'll never be able to admit it to yourself. This isn't showmanship. This is you going, church family, you need to know that this is, this is serious. This is me. Anybody else? Anybody else? I need you guys to kind of come on together. And as you're coming up here, will you go ahead and join your hands with somebody standing next to you? I'm going to wait until anybody else, anybody else wants to come up. Uh, I don't want to press, but if you're going, well, I'm going to deal with it at home. I'm telling you, if you can't admit in front of other people, you're not going to be able to admit it to yourself, okay? So I'm just going to leave it at that. We're going to go ahead and join hands so you guys all join together. Look, if you guys are up here, we just kind of look up here for a second. Look, the reason why I asked you to come up here was for that admission to other people, but also is for us to recognize that the kind of courage it takes is also letting other people know, like, these are issues in my life, and I can't do this on my own. So more than some pastor people praying for you, I need you guys to pray for each other. And we don't even have to explain who the idol, what they are. God knows. God knows. God's known all along. And here's the incredible thing, ready? The reason why a lot of times we're afraid to let go is because we're like, is somebody going to catch me? God's going to catch you. He's been waiting forever. He's been waiting forever. His arms have been open forever. Don't worry about whether God's going to catch you. He's going to catch you. He's been ready. 
So I'm going to ask you guys to spend a moment or so just praying for other people, okay? And then I'm going to pray a prayer for you as we finish this segment, okay? Let's close our eyes and let's pray for each other. Lift each other up to the Lord. Lift each other up to the Lord. Hallelujah, Father. We lift each other up unto you, God. Father, I pray for these brothers and these sisters, oh God. I pray, Father, for these men and women that are standing up here, Lord. God, I pray, Father, in their boldness and their courage, Lord God. Father, you would give them spiritual insight to link with them, spiritual insight, Lord God, to know and see what it is, oh God. And Father, whether it be something that has enslaved them and bondage, Lord Jesus, that you would, God, close their hearts, oh God. Father, this is the work that you do by the power of your Holy Spirit in a moment by moment, Lord God, in an ongoing way. And so we need you. We acknowledge our need for you. We acknowledge it for you, Lord Jesus. Oh, Spirit of the living God. Oh, Spirit of the living God, will you do that, Lord Jesus? We desperately, desperately, desperately need you, God. Spirit of God, we desperately need you, God. I pray and ask in Jesus' name. Move right now. Move right now. Spirit of God, move right now. Move right now. Move right now. Move right now. In their brokenness, in this Lord. Jesus. And for those of you that are standing up here, so here's, here's what I want to here's what I want to ask you to do next. I want to I want to ask you to go ahead and symbolically. Put your hands out in front of you, both hands, and place in your hand that thing that you've identified, that thing that God has been working on, that thing that God has been pulling your heart at. And a symbolic act of surrender, yieldingness, you give that right now. You hold that out, and I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to pray for us. God, we, 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 we bring it before you, God, and we've held such a tight grip on it, tight hold on it, Father, we... We, get, we hold it out right now, Lord God, as a way of saying, God, we're yielded, we're surrendered to you. And God, I'm scared to death. God, I feel insecure. God, I just feel like, I just feel like my entire foundation has been taken and swept away. But I lay this idol, I lay this God before you. You know what it is. I know what it is. Take it, God. Take it, God. I cannot uproot it on my own strength. I cannot uproot it in my own ability. I can't discipline myself if you do this. I need you. I need you, God, powerfully to come by the power of your spirit, God, and help me to uproot this not just once today, but every day of my life and build my life on a whole new foundation, and that is Christ Jesus. give it to you I surrender it to you I say take it God take it God take it God take it God thank you that you'll never leave us nor forsake us in this journey God we need you we need you bring healing bring reconciliation bring your redemption God bring the power of your spirit to work and move pray for every single one of us spirit of god spirit of god in jesus name in jesus name in jesus name church the soul stand together as we sing this as our song of response as our prayer let's all stand together stand together and declare this is our prayer today declare this is our prayer today prayer be true of us and Lord as we leave this place today 
God, as you've begun for some of us this journey of incredible challenge and yet healing, we take our comfort in the fact that you remind us in your promises that you'll never leave us nor forsake us and that we do not walk alone. That though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that though we walk through fire flames, though we walk through, through torrents of river that terrify, we do not walk alone. And you as our God walk right along with us. God, will you continue the healing, restoring, redemption process? I pray especially for these brothers and sisters standing up here today, God. Honor their courage. God, will you daily remind them this week of who you are. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. For those of you that need further prayer and help, we'll be up here to pray with you. Guys, have a great week. We'll see you back here next Sunday as we continue our journey.